man of will breaks all boundaries. As above, so below. Magic of come to realize is a new way of seeing our own world. Something divine truly does exist. You're listening to the Culture Shock podcast with your host, Dave Oscuro. Which then brings me to my next question. What is a closed practice? Because I spend too much time on Twitter. Yes, you do. And Wait, if you spend any time on Twitter, I think that's too much. Right? I agree. And while I fully acknowledge that Twitter only represents 7% of Americans, um, and, and of those, 7%, a fraction are the dopiest of dopes, but there seems to be within predominantly, I would say, the neo-paganistic and witch community – but but not not only I think it's it's starting to sort of extend its tendrils into the ceremonial magic spaces as well. This idea that practices, religious and spiritual practices, are closed, and in particular, what what drew my attention to this was that there was a group of TikTokers because TikTok has kind of become a new um, playground for a younger generation to express their beliefs, especially as it relates to spirituality and witchcraft, which is fine. I'm an old man. I was, you know, that it's just not of my generation. So I'm not casting any judgment on it, but within these spaces, there seems to be this idea that the tarot and tarot reading and divination is a close practice of, um, the Romani folks. Cool. Cause um, it's like from sorry, Italy and not from, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple of things wrong with that. <laughs> the, the first one is, uh, what, it's what, on TikTok. What, <laughs> yes. Number one. Right. Well, so the first thing is what Chris said, which is that it's a, it's a, it's, it doesn't originate in the north of India where the Romani uh, people come from. Uh, <laughs> second, it's been, even if it did, it's been long since practiced by people all over the world. Uh, and I don't know how you put that bottle. I don't know how you put the lid back on that bottle. I think it's just open now. Um but third, I think most importantly, it just doesn't understand that it misunderstands what culture is, which is like an extremely fluid and constantly shifting thing. Like there's no such practice in the world that is uniquely anyone's at this point, that there's no such thing as a closed practice. It's not real. Um, well, and I, I like, feel like oh, um, before we all get canceled and some of us again, uh, I, I want to point out that, number one, I, I would like to welcome my Slavic brothers into the <laughs> royal order of people of color. You're now officially no longer white. You're a person, you're people of color. What color is that? It's, um, it's pinkish. Other white. Off, it's off white. Okay. It's off white. Right. It's like eggshell. Eggshell. Yeah. I mean, look well, at like, me. Yeah. Do I look yeah. white to you? Come on. I mean, yes. <laughs> Was this an attempt I'm... to get canceled before we get canceled? Is that what this was? I just want to, I just want to get it out of the way. We like, can cut this out. Just want to get um... it out of the way so we can move on and have a successful life. <laughs> no, I, I – so I have long held, if you've ever listened to our previous podcast, Hired to Winning, that uh, this weird sort of neoliberal, progressive even lefty viewpoint, which I call neo-separate but equal – in an attempt to protect folks actually ends up being pretty, I mean, misguided in the best of instances, outright racist in most instances. 
um, to me, the idea that the Romani folk were, that it's a close practice of them, not only ignores history, but also ignores the fact that it's a stereotype that Romani people are, you know, uh, fortune tellers and and things of that nature. I mean, that's like that's like a pretty that's like that's like saying um, it's like saying shoplifting uh, is cultural appropriation. Yeah, well, no, I was gonna say it's like saying like the the Mexican hat dance is a closed practice. Or I'm just trying to think of something within my culture that's like like a stereotype that we all like. Be, oh, you know, being a being a thug or a gangster or or a cholo is a closed practice. You know, it's like. It's this, this weird idea that, like, they're trying to protect a, 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 a you know, a disenfranchised group of folks. But in the process, they're actually just playing into stereotypes, which highlights their, their you know, uh, ignorance to, to that said culture they're trying to protect. Where did they pull this information from, though? Well, not Google, apparently, like, because there, it was pretty easy to find. Like, is there some sort of snippet of information that someone's misconstrued that's been twisted and you know sewing circle whispers and all that stuff i i <laughs> tend to find that a lot of times these things start in pretty um pretty how do i say this exactly they they tend to s- start within very isolated groups so it's made of, up well yeah it's, i mean yeah it 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 is it's obviously it's it's not rooted in reality obviously but it it tends to be from a group of folks that are siloed their whose opinions are siloed and they feed the the manicness <coughs> to do good and of course who doesn't want to do good I mean I think most people genuinely if you set them down they're probably good folks at, at, in deep in their heart and in an effort to, to but see I I've long held that if you if we live in a society, and and I would specifically highlight a, a you know late capitalist society that robs you of the ability to form a meaningful connection with your community and the earth and your own spirituality and your own you know internal substance, and and uh, because the traditional values that most of us were raised on prove to be unsatisfying in many regards a lot of us grew up in sort of conservative christian conservative households where you know the religion the, the spirituality of the religion has taken a backseat to the dogma and and so but 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 we are stuck in that nihilistic stage where nothing has meaning and so we try to find meaning by being part of causes and and that's where fanaticism comes from or standing as the kids say and and they they lose themselves. They, the, the the brain actually smoothens to like a like a gelato, <laughs> and like a they lose all sense of <laughs> the environment that they're actually living in. And they just they're just trying to constantly stay do gooding because otherwise they lose value in their lives. Cool. Don't celebrate <laughs> Christmas or Easter then. Fuck off. So <laughs> like seriously, <laughs> we can. It's cool because that's like other white people shit, right? So we can take that, even though it doesn't belong to us. Well, well, that's not my religion. There are some folks. This also came up. Um, I think it was in Minnesota. Maybe feel free to correct me if someone knows where it actually was. But there's a state in the U.S. that approved an all-white church. Yeah, I, I, I believe... saw that. That bloody 
I believe oh, it was cold under the woman. What was her name? I, I think it was under the guise of being like a Nordic church or something. Oh. And then if you you know No, it wasn't. She was just flat out racist person. Well I well, okay. I don't know specific the, the details on all that, but I do know that there are a lot of folks who believe that Nordic worship is a closed practice as well. And that if you are not of Scandinavian descent, that you shouldn't practice that. So just just before we get too far into it, um, <laughs> I, uh, I just thought it was interesting. And I just decided to search to find out where this notion of the Romani tarot connection comes from. And it comes from a, a French Protestant clergyman in the early 1800s named Antoine Court de Gavelin, who uh, decided that and started telling people because oh. he just decided he knew. But he also said it was Egyptian um, because back then that was common to same same. people. Used, of course, people didn't say Romani. <laughs> they said gypsy. And the notion was that uh, gypsy was slang or was, had its origins in Egyptian, which is, of course, an, uh, not an Egyptian word. Um, <laughs> right. So there you go. The You're culturally appropriating, but it's OK because it's not you know real. I'm, yeah, like, I'm gonna jump in here real quick, uh, just to like, <laughs> just to actually bring this a little bit back to the last conversation about what's happening um, in the stars and how that's influencing us, and bring it to where we are now. But um, uh, what what is one of the big thing that's that's happening now is uh, the transfer from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius, and that's something that. A lot of people are really discussing in depth. And um, I think it's interesting because the age of Aquarius is um, supposed to be an age of technological advancement more than ever, which to also bring us back to what we were talking about, I think it's, I have an, a feeling that the types of technology that we get into are going to be those that um prove that you know what we now define as magic is indeed science you know um as quantum physics is already starting to do but also um another thing that defines the age of aquarius is um community and true equality and i think um as far as closed practices i think that you know, once we are able to obtain true equality and true community, closed practices won't really be an issue. Like that won't, I mean, it's, I think it's going to take us a very long time to get there. Um, well, we, we've got about 2,500, uh, you know, 2,500 years <laughs> to kind of figure it out before we move into we the do. next We do, we're just, but we're just starting now, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah, I think there's yeah. some there's some folks that would argue mm-hmm. when when the age of Aquarius would begin, not to go on too much of a tangent, mm-hmm. but the idea is that whether you want to believe it started in in the 40s or even the early 19th century or it's not quite yet happened, um I definitely feel like we're in an early stage of a the next sort of chapter mm-hmm. of humanity and it's full of a lot of foolishness and a lot of infighting and tribalism in a manner that has really ramped up in the last 10 to 15 years or so. Yeah. 
Well, so you don't think that there's been lots of mystic crystal revelations, you know? <laughs> false, no more falsehoods and divisions. I think there have been Not a few yet. falsehoods yeah. and divisions. Um, <laughs> like, for example, there used to be a country called Yugoslavia. And uh, now there's a bunch of countries, and they all hate each other. Yeah, but not as much as they did in the '90s when they were murdering each other. That's true. Um, <laughs> Slow not, progress. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, I earlier said the 1800s. I should have said 1780s. Uh, it's the 1780s is where we get this uh, gypsy tarot connection. Just for the record. Um, but Christine, what you were saying about um, genuine, like global community and closed practices being basically incompatible mm. and that you'd see the growth of one as the decline of the other. Um, I think a, a really interesting illustration of that is our, is our prehistory. Cause I was right before we uh, hopped on this call, right before this conversation, um, I was reading uh, a friend was trying to get their head around the idea that um, burning uh, herbs for smoke cleansing was a closed practice that was specific to, uh, a handful of indigenous communities in North America. And if you're not like a, you know, racially identified as one through the blood quantums that were established in the 19th century by white racists to uh, allow you to be in that community, then you shouldn't be burning smoke. Uh, you shouldn't be burning uh, sacred herbs to do what we call smudging in English, but, you know, whatever, smoke cleansing rituals. And, uh, Again, I was just like, I'm curious as to where this idea comes from. So I thought I'd look into it. And it turns out that we've been doing that since time immemorial and at least since uh, prehistory. And it comes probably mostly from what we call Siberia today. It traveled to North America over the Bering, you know, across the Bering Strait. It also exists in Australia among Aboriginal communities there. It's a Celtic practice. Even the burning of sage goes back to ancient Egypt. Uh, it's actually probably... If not the most, it's certainly one of the most universally human practices that there is. So, mm -hmm. you know, we invented the idea that it's closed mm -hmm. recently. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah. What I we could open it back up very easily because that's how it started. What I I think one of the things that I mean, well before I, I sort of embarked on a magical journey, like I always found it fascinating that so many aspects of different cultures and different culture spirituality had similar themes right the idea of the of the sacrificial god man um you know the floods you know the idea of a flood exists in multiple cultures the sort of like a cleansing of the earth that occurred i mean th there's a lot of aspects of culture um of you know, whether you want to call it mythology or you want to call it spirituality whatever it may be where the, a lot of the same stories are repeated and if you and there's two ways to look at it, either a different cultures from across the globe with far less ability to travel, all experienced similar um, either either cultural changes or similar um, environmental changes and and wrote stories about it. The other thing that one could interpret, which I tend to lean towards now as I'm getting older is this idea that we all, you know, I think, I, I, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's pretty, pretty accepted that that we're all from uh, a similar area, like in Africa, and, and then eventually people traveled and, and um, you know, people evolved and changed and 
adapted to their climates and all that stuff. But we it's, generally all come from a similar. It's region. largely true. It's it's a little bit more complicated. You know, there are there's a record of multiple human species which have a couple of points of origin, but they all kind of merge or else die out. But Homo sapiens, anatomically modern humans, the majority of them have an origin somewhere in Africa. That's that's true. But right. like, that's- you know, we recently even have found that Neanderthals and Homo sapiens coexisted for like 100,000 years. Yeah. And, and interbred. Yeah. So, so there are from, some people on... Yeah. If you've got uh, Northern European uh, heritage, there's a very good chance that you have Neanderthal blood. Right. right. So, but but so, still, the point I think stands that like the human race is the only race, and I think that that's yeah. that bears out scientifically. But and also uh, the reason I I bring that up is because either again at different points points in culture across the world, folks all experience very similar whatever cultural changes, adjustments, moments, or or this idea that that. If we're all, if we all generally came from a, a similar region, that a lot of this stuff are, are beliefs and um, stories that have been passed down as as cultures have traveled the world and set roots in different regions, and um, you know, adjusted their mythology to their own generation that a lot of these stories come from the same origin, which meant they were shared, mm-hmm. which meant they weren't close practices. And that a lot of these things, to your point, Jason, where smoke smudging or smoke cleansing is a, 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 a practice that has existed in a lot of different cultures. Sophie is talking right over <laughs> me. Go, go away, Sophie. Um, have existed in a bunch of different cultures is probably due to the fact that they all come from a similar origin Right, it's, prim- it's primordial. And what's really fascinating about it is, not that this is a drum I normally beat about like the science bears out, right? But it actually turns out that burning sage in a room can destroy up to 95% of harm- harmful bacteria for up to 24 hours. So not only is it a universal human practice that dates back to before there was written language, uh, and when basically all people had the same skin tone, but also um, it's a good fucking idea. Yeah. Like yeah. even if you b- don't believe in any kind of spiritual anything, you should still do it because it uh, kills germs. That's why if you're going to go to church during the pandemic, go to a Catholic mass because they're blazing right. up that frankincense and keeping everybody safe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also short-sighted to believe, especially if you're a spiritual practitioner, which I don't imagine most folks are um, who, who perpetuate this, but maybe they are. But it just seems strange to me that you could box God. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you could, you could, you could, you could, uh, like part. No, your arm's too short. Jason. He would knock you out, um, dog. Yeah. Partition. I, say, I mean, I know that um, Joseph wrestled an angel and like tore his arm out of socket, but I don't think you can box God. Yeah. No, your arms would be way too short to to box God. But, but, this idea that you can sort of segregate the different forms of the Godhead and and isolate that form of worship to just a specific random point in history when you've decided that that's when it originated, it seems really counterintuitive to almost every spiritual practice that exists that I'm aware of. Right. Cause they just say like, we don't, we don't like the old Testament. Like, don't worry about that. Like, 
Well, well, not just that, but like think about this. Like, to, like okay, like to take the sage, right? I think the common understanding is that sage is a is a practice. The, the burning of sage is a practice that mm. sort of originates with um, Native uh, American indigenous folks, and that that's why yuppie white folks, which is always the assumption, shouldn't do that because it's not theirs to have. Well, but again, as we've highlighted, that that practice exists in lots of different regions. And and at what point do you just randomly decide this is where it's, it originated from? Well, so and from this point on, it's locked. Like it's I think it's like, it is rooted it's like in the Disney connection. I, I don't know what that means. The Disney connection. The, the the Disney collection. You know, like every few years they put it in the vault and you can't get to it anymore. It's like it feels like that's what people are trying to do to spirituality. Like like at a certain point, they just arbitrarily decided that it is now locked from this point onward. And you no longer can have access to it unless oh, okay. you originate. Well, that really point. points to like someone who's very early in their magical or spiritual development development and is very focused on, you know, becoming focused on themselves, focused on becoming powerful themselves and like just trying to like find all these secret ways that they can rise above everyone else when if once they actually get further along their path you you start to realize that you excel way faster if or maybe you only excel when you are lifting others up when you are sharing your own magic your own skills and whatever you bring to the table with the collective as much as you can so all these people who are trying to to kind of like hoard it and make it, you know, so exclusive, they're really slowing down their own evolution. Right. I, I do think that there is, like, first of all, I agree with that entirely. Um, it's kind of like when you're, um, this is a silly comparison, but this is this is the one that makes sense to me. When you're, when you're a teenager and you discover whatever subculture and you're very happy to have some identity and then somebody who doesn't seem to uh, take it as seriously as you do you mean gets into it and you feel like uh, you're like oh look at this exactly and then you grow up a little bit and you're like hey it's great that more people are like the stuff I like and so now there's more of it um, mm. I would say you know there's there is something to how do I want to put this uh, it's tricky I, I would say that there is something to like you know the process of actually trying to grapple toward the mysteries that if you're not actually trying to uh, adopting the affectation of paganism, witchcraft, or some, whatever it is, um, it does seem to have a cheapening effect on those spiritual elements of life. But anybody who's like genuinely, you know, in a process on a journey, uh, yeah, they should be very much embraced. And anybody who's not, maybe you could nudge them a little bit in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think uh, just to go back to the 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 question of burning sacred herbs for cleansing rituals. Specifically, there is a kind of white sage, which is native to the southwestern United States, which is apparently being over-harvested to the point of uh, endangering it so that, you know, you can sell it for all sorts of things. Because now you can buy, like, white sage bundles at, like, Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever. Yeah. And so there are people who their traditional indigenous spiritual practices uh, which require certain elements, um, have a big problem with 
the uh, this over harvesting. So there is a material basis to this particular concern, but rather than translate it into something that's like difficult, like a I don't know, placing a limit on the power of corporations to destroy an environment and thus deprive people of something that's important to them, uh, you know, to stop the profaning of that which is sacred that comes along with a profit motive, uh, that concern is then instead translated into something easy, which is shaming people. Uh, but I think, you know, one of them is a little bit more useful. One of them might actually save the sage and the practice. The other one's not going to do anything for anybody other than make us hate each other. Well... That's sort of, you know, we all, we always talk about neoliberalism, the big bad, like, you know, boogeyman that's just always in the corner destroying everything. But that's this is a very neoliberal. I mean, this is just it's just liberal, actually, way to approach a solution to approach a problem. And that is to farm off the responsibility for um, creating the problem onto individuals that have really nothing to do with it. So if you see a product and you buy it, it's your fault for buying the product and not the fault of the people that are doing the harvesting or whatever. Uh, it's, it's putting the onus on the individual because that's the way we do things in liberal Western society. Uh, the individual is sacrosanct. The individual is the, the locus of all... Uh, the locus of our... The intellectual framework that makes up our society and uh, our economy and everything. So any kind of problem that there that we are facing as a collective is going to necessarily be broken down to uh, to to be the fault of individuals instead of the fault of you know some sort of collective entity. And that's just that's well, just I, the way I, it goes. That's the way. It's wrong, and well, we th- we shouldn't pay attention to it. But I, I think that a lot of this mentality comes from that. It's this commodification of spirituality. And people don't realize, I think, again, because I'm sure in their hearts, you know, if you strapped them to a lie detector test and you asked them what their intention was, I'm sure it's probably designed to come from a good place. But I, I think that what occurs is that we're so rooted in this sort of capitalistic mentality that, to your point, both Jason and Chris, that we've missed – the bigger issue and we've just bought into this idea that like uh you know it, it's like it's like putting the finger in the dam right we're we'll blame the individual we'll tell you we'll, we'll decide we'll gatekeep who can do what or not do what but um we don't have any problem with the fact that it's been commercialized in the first place and that really and truthfully at along a long enough timeline all things get commercialized and commodified to the point of losing any and all meaning or any and all um, culture in some degrees. Like, you know, I we, we made this joke one time on our previous podcast about, like, Mexican food, right? Like, I'm down for any culture to eat Mexican food. I just want it to be good. I'm more offended by Taco Bell than I am a person who might be of Caucasian – ancestry eating a taco or opening a, a, a taqueria you know like that doesn't bother me that someone who genuinely loves you know there was a story maybe a couple of years back about these two ladies from portland who drove down to mexico and they loved the tacos and they decided to get the recipe somehow and 
they or or approximated and they went back to Portland. They opened up this taqueria and, you know, they were shamed and shut down because they had appropriated this idea of tacos. But what, but where are those folks at Taco Bell or Del Taco or whatever shitty, you know, fast food joint that, you know, slaughters tons of animals and freeze dries everything and fills it full of preservatives. Where's that anger and that outrage? It, but, no, it doesn't but, exist. But those are institutions of white culture. And it's typically white people that are worried about the appropriation. <laughs> yeah, man, that's, that's uh, <laughs> Americans don't um, have much in the way of culture. That is for white people. I mean, uh, look, Taco I, Bell is like, and it's yeah. a fucking touchstone. I think it's, I think it's a delicate subject and I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to come across as being completely indifferent to the concerns about the genuine appropriation of things. So like I was first made aware of the concept of cultural appropriation a long, long time ago um, when I think it was like Urban Outfitters or, or, or Forever 21 or some store had a, started like a, a line of handbags and winter socks that had this specific uh, pattern on them that they had uh, picked up from uh, like a Navajo, uh, like a, it was like a, it was yeah it was a Navajo Indian pattern that was like sacred and used only in certain rituals, and they were right. like you know built, sold as Southwestern style socks, and so there were these people in the Navajo community that were like, you're not even calling it Navajo style, you've written us out of it completely, and it's ours. You took this, you appropriated it from us and made it yours. And we're not even credited. We're not even acknowledged. And that, that sucks. That's like a bad thing. Yeah. I think we shouldn't do that. 100%. That's not the same thing as a, the, to, the counter example. Is I have this friend. She teaches um, about a third of the year in Durban, South Africa, at a university, and the rest of the time in, uh, in Texas. And <laughs> she told me that she has so much trouble explaining to her colleagues in South Africa that under no circumstances can she uh, bring home a dashiki to wear. And her friends are like, oh, why can't you wear a dashiki? And say, oh, people would be upset. And their response is, ah, yes, because the Americans, they, they hate black people. That's why. And she's like, no, no, you don't understand. I can't wear the dashiki because, uh, because it would be seen as disrespectful to black people. Now, to the black people in South Africa who grew up fighting apartheid, who grew up fighting laws which didn't allow black and white people to, like, share things or even right. stand next to each other, they can't comprehend this because their concept of liberation was eliminating the barrier to taking home a dashiki and wearing it. So every time she's there, she's like, they're like, yeah, is it still a problem over there? Are they still going to get mad at you if you, um, you know, take home the stuff that we love and show how much you love it and thus love us? They can't get their head around it because it is a it, right. Great the white first thing speaking for the African exactly. Thing. The first thing is the first example <laughs> is a real problem. The second example is whenever you like uh, you approach that problem incorrectly. I think yeah. The the second is the the example of a powerless people trying to perform some sort of action to make it feel like they're doing something. Yeah. Yeah. For any of our um, listeners who are considering, um, you know, trying something that is considered by many to be a closed practice, um, I think Jason said earlier that it's, you know, the concept of a closed practice is an invented um, idea and it's also a limiting belief. So if you, you know, 
deep down believe that something doesn't sit right with you or something, if you let this idea that something doesn't belong to you, um, if you let that sink in, then that will, I think, weaken, you know, your manifestations and your energy. Um, and so I think that like, it's really important that regardless of what you do, like it really has to, like when it comes to magic and rituals and everything else, regardless of what you do or what you try, it should really resonate with you deep, deep down, you know, and that's the difference between like, you know, um, doing something because it's truly you and it inspires you and you truly love it and doing something just like, you know, for the aesthetic of it, which is, I think, you know, that is um, a little bit disrespectful, just doing something to, well, yeah, just for, the, the likes right mm -hmm. well yes. and it's and yes. <laughs> and it's also it's also empty mm -hmm. it will not bring you the meaning right. that you seek in a way that like a true faith mm -hmm. you know might and certainly that is the point um so in for the same reasons why if you're a you know you grow up in yemen and you move to sweden and you decide that traditional nordic pagan paganism is speaks to you more than Islam or vice versa. You know, if you grow up in uh, whatever, the opposite side of the world and you move to... Massachusetts. A, yeah, and you and you move to a part of the world that where, you know, you adopt Hinduism because you moved to Sri Lanka and it, and it speaks to you better. Like, for the same reason why you, we absolutely should be able to do that, and in fact, that is how religion spreads and all religions want to spread, um, <laughs> I think. And have spread. Everyone should just uh, join the one holy and Catholic apostolic church, you know? So it's, it's universal. <laughs> Certainly there Everyone is a history can. of trying to make people do that. <laughs> um, uh, and, and really to just derail myself, like you know, when Gerald Gardner um, codifies a myriad of, you know, half remembered and some somewhat true and, and, and then some researched uh, practices of traditional Celtic, you know, pre-Anglo paganism into what we call Wicca. By, and then also adopts a bunch of things from Christianity, like the concept of a god, um, like a single god. Uh, the idea was to make it something that was easy to adopt so that it would spread. So like, you know, for the same reason why that's what that's why religion spreads the way that it does. Um, if you just adopt the image, just the hollow image of a thing, because it might feel good in the moment, it won't bring the meaning um, that you maybe, I don't know, maybe you're hoping it will which is why there are things like fashion trends because they are, they're fleeting. Um, right. And so a faith, a practice, a spiritual walk as a, as a fashion statement, as opposed to a, a genuinely uh, closely, dearly held uh, belief, it's, it's only going to be able to be as much as that. So not only is it like disrespectful, but it's also just not going to do anything for you. Exactly. Well, well, and I'm, I, I think before we move on to the next topic of this podcast, I want to leave this conversation with a quote from Aleister Crowley. It is necessary that we stop once and for all this ignorant meddling with other people's businesses. Each individual must be left free to follow his own path. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Occult Shock Podcast. Please join us next week when we will be joined once again by our guests from the Regrettable Century, Chris and Jason, our guests from the Coffins and Coffee Twitch channel, Jess, and content creator Christine Phelan. Until next time, gold rings on you all.